Whether you're in the game to look and feel your best, keep up with your kids, or prepare for the possible apocalypse, living the optimized life isn't always easy. Often, the better-for-you versions of all the stuff you enjoy bring a hefty dose of hassle to your life. Does forcing down a buttery, oily mix of keto-friendly coffee and dealing with the impending blender cleanup sound familiar? Not cool. That's why Onnit and Black Rifle Coffee have joined forces to improve upon the world's finest MCT oil. Onnit and Black Rifle have teamed up to churn out a brand new flavor of our emulsified MCT oil, Mocha. It's hassle-free, incredibly tasting flavor you can look and feel good about. That doesn't contain a single gram of sugar. Like Onnit's other MCT oils, it stirs in easily and has all the ingredients to boost your mental and physical power to the highest level. On its MCTs provide 6.9 grams of medium chain fatty acids and 1.9 grams of lauric acid. Don't know what that means? Simply put, MCTs are a source of quick energy found to offer numerous health benefits. It's keto-friendly, free of all the stuff you don't want, and packed full of beneficial fats and nutrients you need for a clean, sustained energy on the go. Anything worth topping from your coffee to ice cream to fruit just got a big guilt-free flavor upgrade all with just a few stirs of a spoon. So go on, get back to living that optimized life. You've now got one less thing to worry about. Grab your bottle of Onnit's new mocha-flavored emulsified MCT oil at onnit.com. All right, guys, this comes with uh, a little hesitation because I don't like, <laughs> I don't like uh, putting an order on who comes on my show. I, You'll rarely, I don't think you'll ever see me say, this is my favorite podcast of the year. But I can tell you right now, Michael Trainer is my favorite fucking podcast of this year. He's my favorite podcast guest that I'd gone on at Paleo FX. He was a last minute dude. I, I didn't know who he was. Uh, my homie John Beer was like, hey, you got to get this guy on your show. He's out at Paleo FX. So I was like, cool, uh, send me a link. He sent me a link to his very first podcast episode with the fucking Dalai Lama. And I was like, whoa, wait, what? What? And then the link to his website, pinkmind.org. And the two guys on the cover are Deepak Chopra and Eckhart Tolle, who are like, I mean, wizards when it comes to the game of mental, emotional, and spiritual world. Uh, people that I've learned from immensely. I always talk about A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle as one of my favorite books. We take a deep dive into where Michael Trainer got on this path, uh, his work in Sri Lanka, starting a nonprofit uh, charity to end world poverty through music. I mean, just really cool shit. Uh, he's got an incredible story, and we're for sure running back with this guy because he's absolutely amazing and uh, definitely one of my favorite podcasts ever. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, let's 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 dive into that. We're we're already on. We're talking <laughs> we're talking Joshua Tree. Are you cool chatting about that? Yeah, sure, of course, man. Whatever yeah. you want to chat about. Yeah, so I, I mean, first of all, one of my favorite places on the planet. Second of all, I was just out there and, you know, we've had a good amount of rain in California. So we had the super bloom. So the entire desert floor is covered in yellow flowers. Wow. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's for me, I always love to find refuge. Uh, Big Sur is one of my favorite places. Mm -hmm. There's actually a place called the Lost Coast, which I highly recommend. Most people don't know about. It's, uh, it's up on the northern coast of California. So it's like, from, from Mexico to Canada, one goes all the way up the coast, except for one piece of land. And it was too rugged to build. So it's literally 40 miles of California as it was 300 years ago. Oh, wow. So you have to backpack in. And I did a sort of a vision quest, solo solo mission in there for about a week, which I like to do. And uh, man, it's special. It's just like 
huge redwood trees that are still like raw up on the on the on the ocean and then just like finger mountains and you said that's by big sur or that one's that one's north of that one's just north of mendes it's in mendocino county so it's north of san francisco okay uh but joshua trees my go-to usually man um yeah i was just out there actually uh with a couple of uh incredible uh healers from mexico um curandero and curandera and uh yeah man it was it was beautiful we did like a flower ceremony and just really wonderful uh got me back to where I needed to be. Hell yeah. Get you centered. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, there's Special. much, much to dive into. Our homie, John Beer set us up and I, and uh, you know, I looked you up and I was like, damn, dude, you, you just started a podcast and you had all sorts of bucket list interviews on your show. Yeah. I've um, been fortunate. You've started some really cool, really cool different things. You're the co-creator of Global Citizen, which is a music festival dedicated to ending poverty. I want to chat with you about that. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Peak Mind. And, uh, you know, I, I pulled up the Peak Mind website and I see Deepak Chopra and yep. Eckhart Tolle right there. And I'm like, you got to be shitting me. Like, <laughs> I'm constantly <laughs> quoting these guys. Uh, I've learned so much from them. But let's 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 shift back a, a little bit. I do want to get some background on you. Like, sure. What, how did you grow up? Did you know when did you start to really pay attention to the mind and to stillness and meditation and all these practices that you're into now? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a great question. It was, I was reflecting actually as I was driving through Austin. So I grew up in the middle of Chicago, so in the city. And, uh, you know, for me, I always sought to find refuge wherever I could. I grew up also, uh, you know, it's doing sports, soccer, uh, basketball, etc. So for me, it was that was sort of my outlet. Um, so I think coming from a, a kind of a sports background also uh, although chicago is not ideal for it but i would go out at my uncle lived in colorado so i did a lot of skiing and for me skiing was like my first experience with meditation you know like that that first sort of sound of silence like being in 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 nature and getting into that sort of flow state and so um you know going into the mountains oftentimes doing sports that was like my first sort of exposure but I wound up actually going to college out in Maine, uh, and Maine's beautiful, but the winters are brutal. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I uh, actually got in a pretty gnarly. I was on the ski team and got in a really really bad accident. Um, we were full f- doing full tuck downhills, last day of training, and I shot off a lip, and it had been a really mild winter so it, it kind of had frozen frozen over and then thawed and so i went in full speed over over a lip and it was just boulders and ice and oh, basically head over heels for about 200 feet my coach <laughs> my coach who was just like i think just elated that i didn't die because he watched the whole thing uh he was actually the youngest division one coach in ncaa history i think he was like 24 years old was like I think I just lost my job. And, uh, <laughs> and he was like, don't move. And I remember standing up and being like, that was my best crash yet. <laughs> I actually skied down. Um, but it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a wake up call. I mean, I was pretty, pretty banged up, broke a few bones, et cetera. But actually on that, in that sort of recovery period, I decided to, I was just sort of exploring. I had always been interested in different cultures, but I decided to uh, look into junior year abroad programs and wound up going to Sri Lanka. And why Sri Lanka, I couldn't really tell you, uh, except that I was fascinated by a Buddhist country amidst civil war. That that paradox I, I found really fascinating. And um, it was 
literally on the opposite side of the world from where I grew up in Chicago. And I just love the idea of going as far away from my reality as possible. And so I wound up in Sri Lanka and I mean, it's like the oldest living Buddhist civilization in the world. You know, I mean, they literally have a, a cutting of the actual tree under which the Buddha attained enlightenment in uh, Anuradhapura. And I wound up actually, uh, which is a whole nother story, but meeting an incredible seventh generation healer um, that practiced a particular form of Ayurvedic shamanism. And he invited me in to study with him. Uh, he was, he didn't have a son and the tradition was on the verge of sort of collapse. And so that was a huge honor. And so I wound up actually living with him for two years and um, got really deep into a variety of practices, but meditation became uh, a pretty big part of my life. That is, <laughs> I never fucking expected that answer to go from, <laughs> from that. That's yeah. insane. Yeah, it's, it's making me think back to um, uh, Dr. Strange. You know, when he first gets out there, he's got to heal himself. A Western medicine doctor. I don't know if you saw that movie. You're into the. Into I I haven't seen Doctor Strange, but so, I'll check it out right after. Dude, this. it is so good. Even if you're not into superhero movies, because so much of it contains a lot of Eastern mysticism. And I'm like, dude, Stan Lee, the the you know all the Marvel comics guy, recently passed away. I'm like, that guy for sure has done psychedelics. There's no way <laughs> you talk about this shit and show it in a movie without having had like a deep transformative metaphysical experience. And um. Sure enough, he's reading the doors of perception in his cameo on the yeah. train, which and I was like, I knew it. It was a very subtle cue. But uh, yeah, you know, he he gets out there to um, somewhere in the, in the Himalayas and mm. starts his training. And, and a lot of that, you know, it just it just yeah, it's funny because that's like a that's a hell of an origin story. Mate, it was it was a game changer. I mean, what's interesting is in that particular tradition, they don't use entheogenic medicines. So it's but they do indeed induce states of consciousness, unlike any like I can't I still to this day couldn't I mean I don't, I don't really talk about it very often but I mean I've seen people entranced literally speaking other languages that theoretically I was with one of the foremost linguists in the country and we saw a Tamil woman keep in mind this is a country at civil war so a woman theoretically on the other side quote unquote in a Sinhalese Buddhist temple entranced speaking classical Sinhalese which would be like me speaking like ancient Greek or like Zulu or some language like I theoretically should not know. So like just states of, of people tapping into the collective conscious, if you will, and just phenomenal, I mean, I, I, phenomenological, I guess, uh, experiences. So yeah, I, I got to check out Dr. Strange, but it, it, blew my, it blew my mind. I want to know how, I mean, obviously there's, it's much more than you could ever say on a podcast, but what in your estimation is causing that? Because I'm, I'm no stranger to mystical experiences and plant medicines, and I, I think they all have... I, I think they're necessary, especially at this point in, in our society. Um, but I'm always fascinated by people that can, that have hacked that without it. Yeah. Right. So like, and, and it's not that one's better than the other, they all work. Sure. Right. But, but like, is it the, obviously, you know, the master who's figured that out has a very uh, specific way usually to get to that state. What are some of the ways that you hack that? Is it through chanting, fasting? Like what are, What's going on there? Yeah, beautiful. So, okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of take it a little bit wide, and then I'm gonna narrow in because okay. I think obviously I want to sort of share it in a way that's hopefully of most value to the audience. But what was phenomenal phenomenal about Sri Lanka is it's a culture that doesn't actually have a word for privacy traditionally, and it doesn't have a word for possession. So if you think about that in terms of the formation of your consciousness, there's um, 
there's a fundamental view towards seeing health as being oriented in the collective, right? Now, to, to get more directly into your question, so I studied uh, a particular form of ritual, like an occult form of ritual, like exorcistic ritual that was involved. So when someone fell out of balance, you would use traditional herbs or medicines, you know, uh, to bring them back into balance. And in other cultures around the world, obviously, that's the context in which a shaman would potentially use uh, uh, an entheogenic medicine, a plant medicine to help uh, potentially navigate certain um obviously either spiritual aspects, health aspects to bring that person back in. In the culture that I lived in, they didn't use entheogenic medicines, but they used trance. So they would use dance um, and they would use, and what's wild is like, what we would consider the master of like an art form, you know? My teacher was a master of like 17 different art forms, you know? I mean, you're, you're you know, MMA fighter, right? Like, you know, like there's masters of like, you know, jujitsu, there's masters of judo, aikido, right? Like this guy was a master of like, like 17 different art forms, right? He could, he could, he danced around the world. He was a drummer. He was an astrologer, Ayurvedic physician. So like the level of detail that went into everything that they did to set up the space was exacting, like down to the level at which like even the tree that they carved to make the masks that they wore, like they would go out at the full moon and ask the permission of the deities in the tree. I mean, like literally like crazy level. But 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 what that what that basically was, was like take like a, something like Burning Man, right? Which I think people can, even if they haven't been there, they can kind of understand. The rituals that they created were like the OG Burning Mans. Like the whole community would come together and build an entire palm fraud city over the course of two weeks and ritually, ritually recreate their shared cosmological worldview, which was kind of like pre-Buddhistic animism meets like uh, Hinduism meets, meets Buddhism, because you're talking about a, a village tradition. And from sunset to sunrise, they would re-indoctrinate people into their shared origin story, in essence, to make them feel seen and heard mm. and validated. Um, but the fire, the dancing, the chanting, using mantras, all of those elements were central to the, the states of consciousness, which were induced during the course of the night. Um, and it's, it's hard to really describe with words, but it's something I can't, uh, just a phenomenal like orchestration, a, a social alchemy, if you will. Mm. Um, that enabled the person to come out of that um, state of disease, because in their concept, disease is imbalance, back into balance. But interestingly enough for us Westerners who are so focused on the individual, it wasn't an individual medicine, it was the collective that was the medicine. Mm. So it was a really, it was a really beautiful experience. Um, and one of the things that I've been you know, trying to figure out is how do you apply that kind of knowledge, which is also, you could say, I mean, obviously it takes different forms, but many indigenous cultures around the world, right, had that wisdom, had that knowledge, some of which were obviously was 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 granted through plants. Um, and now we're in this sort of brave new world, this liminal space, right, where it's like, but yet we're in the verge of technology. So you have these ancient technologies, which have this incredible ancient intelligence. And then you have this now like exponential technology and, you know, modern way of living. And so for me, and I'm, I'm sure yourself as well, it's the fascinating aspect is like, how do you use the tools from the ancient intelligence to create epic way of living in, in modern, in, you know, modern society? Yeah, you got to bridge the gap. Exactly. And the gap is widening. Exactly. <laughs> exactly right. Hey, guys, real quick, I want to tell you about an awesome product from Organifi. It's called Green Juice. 
And this is truly a superfood powder. It's got everything you need in one little scoop. Something I take first thing in the morning upon waking. Well, actually, right after I finish my fast, usually around 10 o'clock in the morning. And then again, I'll take it during the workout. And this is a number of cool things in it. Specifically, one that I'm a fan of is ashwagandha root. And they use a very specific form of this called KSM 66, which is highly bioavailable. It has a calming effect on the body. It's also one of these things where it's adaptogenic, which means it's going to handle your body's stress as needed and not overdo it. So if I'm going to take a gang of vitamin C pre-workout, that's going to have some negative impacts on how well I train and how hard my workout is. It's going to negate some of the training effect is my point. KSM 66 works differently. So this form of ashwagandha does not impair your training load and it does help you recover quicker. Uh, there's a lot of science on this stuff. It's absolutely amazing. They've included wheatgrass, horseradish tree, spirulina, chlorella, uh, organic matcha green tea leaf, all sorts of good stuff in here. And it tastes great. They also have turmeric, which I'm a huge fan of. That's in their gold product and organic red beet. Check it out at Organifi.com. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. And use code word Kyle, K-Y-L-E, at checkout for a whopping 20% off everything in the store. Thank you. So you're there for for two years, and then you did you come back stateside after that? Yeah, so I went there my junior year. It was it was over two separate years. So I went there my junior year. I came back. I finished off. I, so I made a promise. I made a vow to my teacher, my guru Nase, that I would come back. And so I basically was like, I'll do whatever it takes to find a way back. And um, I was super fortunate. Um, I wound up getting a Fulbright scholarship and went back my uh, right after I graduated. And basically, the U.S. government, you know, gave me a grant to study with this in this tradition, which was pretty phenomenal because, I mean, talk about esoteric. It was it was pretty far out there, um, but it was, I mean, it, it totally changed the course of my life. Um, so, and then I traveled around the world for fifteen months. So, for fifth for almost a year and a half of my life. I stood out like a sore thumb. I was all in Asia. I was tall, six foot four white guy. I mean, yeah, you're taller than I am. <laughs> not, not six foot four white guys. So I just remember going to New Zealand after a year and a half and blending in. And it, like my consciousness was like, you know, like a deep breath because it was just like it was it was wild. But uh, but man, yeah, I went I went I went out pretty 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 deep into the Asian cultures, uh, studying, learning for about for about two years. Damn. So you, so more travel, yeah. more knowledge, more experience, yep. most importantly, right? That, yeah. that very visceral learning. And um, what'd you take home with you when you came back from Asia? Man, uh, well, to be honest, a lot of it was, you know, I'd love to say I figured it all out. I, if, if anything, I kind of broke my whole worldview down. And so it took me better part of a decade to figure out just even how to be, you know, how to integrate a lot of that information, right? I mean, I think a lot of us, especially now, you know, we have access to these ecstasies, you know, these the ecstasies, right? These ecstatic states, but the work is in the integration, right? It's mm -hmm. like, how do you integrate this back into your day-to-day -day living, right? Into the mundane. So for me, it was extrapolating the various tools that I found to be really be of service. Meditation, you know, being one of them. Um, the other was uh, this notion of community, which I think is actually too infrequently spoken of as we talk in this sort of health and wellness world that we're in, you know, um, yeah. it's a lot of it's about like these ingredients, which I'm also equally passionate about, right? Like I'm all about like, you know, I'll take the interview, intervenous glutathione, you know, like I'll do the, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll go like super mi micro, 
But I think one of the things that's often we often lose sight of that I think is a great cause of our social ills is this lack of community, you know, people not feeling connected, feeling disconnected from each other. And I think that's one of the challenges I've seen, especially coming back. And, and to speak very plainly, that was one of the things that drove me to Sri Lanka in the first place is I started, I had some pretty intense traumas when I was a kid and I started to ritualize. Um, and I was basically diagnosed early with uh, an obsessive compulsive personality, right? So I was the guy who was like washing his hands and like checking the doorknobs because I had had like, you know, some pretty gnarly stuff happen when I left home. And so when I was about to leave home for college for the first time, which was the ultimate existential sort of, you know, leaving and embarking, leaving the safety of the shore, I started to ritualize. And it was actually that which led me down this path of saying, okay, I'm ostensibly creating rituals to bring about a sense of ease, right? To assuage a sense of anxiety. Well, cultures have been doing that since time immemorial, right? I just didn't have a religious traffic or a community in which that made sense, where I could be brought in to feel a part of a bigger whole. And so a lot of what I've been working on since then is, right, how do we, how do we create those, like, the medicine of community, so to speak, in mm -hmm. our individual Western age. And and that was uh, some of the formation uh, that went into the thinking with Global Citizen and then, and then obviously now Peak Mind, which is, you know, how do you, you know, I'm very passionate about forming a, a world that, that works for everyone. And obviously we're in a place where that's especially ecologically at risk. Um, but it's also my view that we can't, you know, Ultimately, the world's a manifestation of our collective internal states, and a lot of a lot of folks in the world, unfortunately, right now are you know a bit lost uh, internally. Yeah. So, to me, I'm interested in both, and I think in the worldviews that I studied, you know, the two were seen as one is a reflection of other, right? The, the macro and the, the micro are 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 in some ways one, one and the same, but I think culturally we don't see it that way. So what I'm interested in is, you know, how do we use these, you know, meditation, holotropic breath work? How do we use a lot of these practices to get back to that balance within so that we can be effective agents without? And then from that place, I mean, you go into even research now, it's all being validated, right? Harvard showed the efficacy of meditation in terms of like eight weeks of mindfulness. You can decrease the size and activity in your amygdala, increase, you know, the size and activity in your I hippocampus. constantly talk about Dr. Ronald Siegel, who did <laughs> yeah. the, the science of mindfulness, Harvard he, professor. Yeah. And there's just so much. It's, it's beautiful about that is he bridges the gap between the science of it and then where it comes from, you know, the mysticism behind it. So whether you're right brain or left brain, you know, you're going to get what you want from that. You're going to yeah. get something that's palpable. Uh, you touched on so many pieces there. I mean, really, I mean, first thing that's coming to mind is as above, so below. Mm -hmm. And it's like that statement sounds either hokey or religious, or it seems like it's, or if you, if you, if you do understand that, then, then it doesn't seem that way. But I mean, to a lot of people, it's kind of like, uh, yeah, but what does that mean? Yeah. You know, but, but it very, very clearly is the case, right? Aren't, and that can be even on a, even on a smaller level, rather than looking at the whole world, just look at your life. Like yep. if you're doing well inside, it seems like all of your relationships are pretty much doing well. It seems like your work environment, every environment that you're a part of is doing well for the most part because you're doing well inside. And yes. as that goes awry, everything fucking fails. Everything gets bad. <laughs> you know, your, your partnership, your wife, your husband, uh, how you parent, all yep. everything starts to crumble, right? And it's always a reflection of what's going on inside. Totally. 100%. I mean, it's uh, the inner and outer game of transformation, right? Like, uh, I think the inner game, the, the outer game is a total reflection of the work you've done inside. 
you know, um, your state of being. You know, I think we have the, this kind of cultural fallacy that like, if only we do certain things, then we'll have certain things and then we'll be happy, right? Like if only I like do this, then I'll get the girl and I'll like, you know, get married and I'll be happy. Or like, oh, if only I get the car, then like, you know, like life's going to be freaking sweet. Always I'll be happy when. Right, when happy, when the actual truth is, it's the total reverse, right? Is when you're being a certain way that you attract the having and that, you know, that leads to, you know, the being is the source of all things. It's not the reverse, right? It's not like, you, you never get to the, the you know, the like, the have doesn't lead to the happy, right? It's like the happy that leads to the have. But but ultimately, ideally, you, you also aren't attached, right? Because that's what perpetuates the suffering. So it, it's, uh, yeah, anyway, you, you, <laughs> you, you, you sparked the thinking. But yeah, yeah. That, I totally agree. As, as right above there. below. So, so here's a question that I, that I typically get asked as people start to dive into this, especially when it comes to Buddhism is this idea of non-attachment. And if you can truly let go of your attachments, where does that lead in this modern world when it mm-hmm. comes to goal setting and attainment? And I, I, you know, I want a house. So there's certainly some truth to Maslow's hierarchy and the need for shelter and yeah. being able to provide for your family, all these things, right? How do you find balance between actually wanting to go out and make changes in the world and make changes to your life and then also not being attached to the outcome? Dude, it's such a beautiful question. I mean, I'm an ambitious person, so like, and I'm and and unapologetically so, in a, perhaps a different way. Like, I don't, I don't, like, I'm not going to be. I, I often use the sort of deathbed, and which is also used in Buddhism, right? Like, monks would actually manif- like meditate on the skeletons of their masters to focus on the nature of impermanence, right? Like the fact that we are all ultimately going to die. But I think thinking about death, you know. Um, you know, the, the warrior's creed, right? Like it's a good day to die. Mm-hmm. Like if you, if you actually utilize, I feel like that, that notion of impermanence, then it goes to me at least to a question of true values. And from values, I mean, um, I think from values, all, all else springs. So if having a house, because you happen to be a loving father with, you know, an incredible family is part of your value system, right? Like, to me, that's not incommensurate with a spiritual practice whatsoever, right? Like, if you are, however, you know, feeling like, own, not until I have this ha- particular house in it's Beverly be a $2 Hills. Home. Yeah, it's got to be. <laughs> I got to have a five million dollar mansion with eight Lambos, you yeah. know, like in the in the driveway, and then I'll have the like Victoria's Secret g- girlfriend, and then I'll be like everyone will see. It's like that's a total fallacy delusion, right? It's mm-hmm. like that. In no in no worldview, even those people that that have that does that has that led to you know happiness. But I think I think you can I think the two so there I'll use the monastic tradition because you brought up Buddhism. So there's in the West in the West we often look at the at the monk in this in this sort of like I, I've renounced the world right I'm not attached to anything I'm going off to a cave and I'm meditating right. Well that is. That is uh, a part of the tradition, but there's also the village dwelling monk, which is the, the the paradigm that I always resonated with, right? The bodhisattva, which which forsakes their own enlightenment to support the enlightenment of all beings, and goes into the into you know the Maya, into the delusion, into the muck of village life of society, right? And is like, all right, you know, like let's help everyone along, let, 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 let's let's get this party started in the form of like you know how can we support others in the raising of their consciousness. And that's a different path. But I think that's the kind of world we live in, right? Like, I don't think 
we're not going to go back in time. You know, we live in a materialist world, but I, I still think that you can be, uh, you can be oriented towards materialism and be sort of unattached. I mean, one book, which I, I don't know if you've read, but have you read the surrender experiment? No, mate. Highly recommend Sounds it. Sounds good. The last like three medicine journeys I've had, I've pulled the surrender card from Sherilyn. <laughs> okay. I got to get you that book, man. Okay. I'll send it to you. Um, so I read that book at a, a really pivotal moment. But what I liked about it was here's a guy who takes the spiritual practice of like getting, letting his ego get out of his own way. And what does that mean? It means that like, I mean, I'll let people read the book, but ostensibly the guy starts from like basically nothing. And like, even against his own egoic or individual needs, he kind of says, yes, it's like whatever comes to you, he says, yes. And he follows the course of saying yes, ultimately, literally to becoming a billionaire, even though that was never his intention, mm. but that was part of his spiritual path. Right. And he winds up channeling those resources to his community, et cetera. But but it wasn't that like it wasn't like he was obsessed with being a billionaire. It was more he was committed to a path which he felt would elevate his his values, his vision, his 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 spirituality, if you will. And in that, all the things he was looking for came. Well, not even looking for all the things that sort of one would want came and he lived this like incredible life. But it's a beautiful book. He wrote uh, Surrender Experiment and Untethered Soul. I haven't read Untethered Soul yet. People. Oh, Untethered Soul's hella good. I don't know if it's the same author. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, That's yeah. That's my wife's favorite book. No way. And for those for those listening, I mean, I constantly talk about A New Earth. Is, is, I've read A New Earth. I just finished my 13th time. I read it at least once a year. It's an amazing book by Eckhart Tolle. And uh this untethered soul, though, is is almost like the the even more layman's breakdown of a lot of those same teachings. Yeah, it's just in a fucking incredible book. Totally, man. Damn. Okay, same guy. Yeah, same dude, same guy. Yeah, you love the book. It's 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 good. And funny enough, like I mean, I won't get too far off, but like even reading that book was wild because I was like on a trail on Semescal, and these like loud dudes were walking up behind me, and I literally paused. And I took the book out. I've never taken a book on a hike. I had no, I just, you know, it's like sometimes your intuition is like, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I take a book on the hike and this guy notices me reading the book. And as I walk to the top, I'm, you know, I'm doing a solo hike, whatever. I'm like, ah, will you take a picture for me? Cause it's a beautiful hike. And, and, and if you ever come back out, I'll, I'll take you on it. It's freaking my favorite, but you can see 360 all of LA Pacific ocean downtown. So ah, we take a photo. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. He starts talking and this guy winds up becoming, I mean, financially totally free, He's good, good for life, uh, but has this incredible wisdom. And he winds up being like, you know what? I'd like to uh, offer you, you know, usually I'm, he's a very expensive coach. He doesn't need to, to do it, but he's like, I'd like to gift you three sessions. And this guy becomes like, like literally helped change the direction of my life. And it was all triggered by me, <laughs> me having this book, The Surrender Experiment on, on me. So it's like, it's like also just like kind of in a way following, not to sound woo-woo, but like, you know, I feel like also following the signs. It's like, it's wild how things can unfold if you're listening. Yeah. Yeah. So and I totally agree with that. That's something where it's like, you know, this idea of synchronicities. Yeah. It's, it goes beyond coincidence and happenstance. Yes. You know, like there is, and I think that's something that is really important about, um, you know, something challenging like ayahuasca or the heroic dose of mushrooms or, or anything. It doesn't even have to be that, like a really deep holotropic breathwork session, mm. something that unlocks a piece of you where you can begin to remember that there, this is so much bigger than we can possibly imagine. And there's a lot of it, the, just the magic of reality, yes. you know, like, like that's, it's, it's like that, that, uh, I pulled this innocence card too. And this for sure sounds woo woo, but 
I've never pulled a card that didn't resonate with me. Yeah. And so I pulled this innocent card and uh, it's talking about, you know, and many, many, many lessons I've had in plant medicines have been to be more childlike, to laugh more, to play yes. more, to not take shit so seriously. And so this goes back to the child medicine, but it's also that innocence of the child is knowing and believing in the magic of the universe. Yeah. Like that it's not just nuts and bolts, fucking A to Z, what we believe in Western medicine. It has so much more to it than that, you know? 100%. I mean, it's it's our it's our delusion to think that our individual kind of like egos have figured out the game. You know what I mean? And I think yeah. what you're referring to when you talk about holotropic breath work or plant medicines, it's like these are tools that have been used for millennia to tap back into the, the collective wisdom, right? That is, I mean, think just think about it. Like, it's like thousands of years ago. I mean, now we're uncovering structures, right? Like, in 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 the you know Mayan Riviera, right? Where or or you know down in Peru, where it's like you have these elaborate architectural sites, which they're now figuring out because they're cracking the code of measurement. Um, that literally were a representation of the cosmological, like the cosmos, right? Like these were these were like astronomers pre like telescopes, etc. That literally formed entire architect like textural you know marvels. At the same time, in a variety of cultures around the world, in ways that, like, theoretically, across, across thousands of years, exactly, like, yeah. there, there were, you know, there, there was a different form of wisdom, right? That, that is, that, that people were accessing and tools that they were util utilizing, and not to like overly romanticize, right? Like, I'm sure there were, ch you know, profound challenges as well, but, but I think what we're uncovering now is exactly what you're mentioning, right? Whether it be plant medicine, holotropic breath work, meditation, a variety of these different tools have been used because of what they can induce in terms of tapping us into a wisdom that's bigger than ourselves. Yeah. And for people who are, uh, I'm sure if you're listening to this, you at least nod your head once or twice, but if you're like, I can't believe I'm still listening to this garbage, check out, <laughs> check out Rupert Sheldrake any of his stuff. And if you can listen to him on Joe Rogan's, I think he's, I think he might've come back on recently. I'm not sure, entirely sure of that, but he talks uh, so much about this thing that he's coined morphic resonance. And it's mm. basically this collective consciousness that we can tap into and it's, it's on every field. So he does studies on, I think little ducklings where uh, he creates in the lab, you're familiar with this, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, so for the listeners that aren't, I'm not, I'm not trying to educate Michael here. I just want to clue you in. Uh, I think he's studying ducklings and he has, he puts them in on a metal platform that has an electrical charge when he chooses. And he creates in the lab a smell that doesn't exist in nature. It only exists in the lab. It's, a, it's like a synthetic form of citrus. So the second he pumps that smell in, he then electrifies on a low level, but enough to, to not feel good underneath their, their little feet, little duck feet, and it shocks them. And uh, then of course, like Pavlov's dogs, he plays that, that little uh, synthetic smell. And all of a sudden they start panicking because they know they're going to get shocked. Right? So, all right, that's not a great experiment. Of course, that's going to happen. But then he takes the siblings of those ducks and puts them in there and he finds that by playing this uh, or, or, or excreting the smell, they too panic. So he's like, okay, there's something epigenetically that, yeah. that, that's been passed down from their kids. All right, still not that far out. Now he flies in ducklings from a different continent that have zero relation to the ducklings he's been studying. And he does the same experiment with them, puts the smell in the air, and they panic. 
So they, they talk about the hundredth monkey theory where like if you teach 99 monkeys something, once you teach the hundredth monkey relatively, most of the monkeys are going to figure that out just like overnight. Yeah. They fucking download that information, right? Yeah. So they, they're proving this stuff scientifically. And that's kind of kind of really something that fascinates me and, and probably another movie you haven't seen is Thor. But he says, I come from a place where science and spirituality are one and the same. Yeah. And I we, we really do see that with guys like, Dr. Bruce Lipton in the biology of belief and Dr. Joe Dispenza and different people that are kind of really bridging the gap of the metaphysical to what we have in our nuts and bolts materialistic reality. 100%, man. And it's, you know, it's interesting because part of what's held me back is actually like, and it's beautiful to talk to like, you know, like, Many would pr- probably perceive you to be a jock, you know, like, and, and yet, <laughs> you know, yeah, 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 like, you're things, like, right? you know, professional MM. And at the same time, you're so much beyond, you're so much more than that, right? And so for me, it was like coming from, I, I grew up in the Midwest, you know, I lived in New York, was, I'm, you know, but at the same time, I was like, I've, I've been deeply interested in, in, in the, in this study for a long time. And what's wild is now, like, research is actually like, validating it right like i always passionate about community and it's like okay hang on like harvard just released the longest longitudinal study of its kind basically determining that the the biggest corollary on your long-term health bar none is the quality of your long-term relationships your community they're looking at that in the blue zones they've yeah. been studying and of course that trickles into the health and wellness scene but like well, what is the French paradox? Why yeah. can they get away with eating garbage and smoking cigarettes and drinking espresso? You <laughs> yeah. know, it's like because they're so joyful. <laughs> yeah, they're walking places. Connected. They're connected to one another. Yep. They have a sense of community and certainly uh, nationalism. There's pros and cons to that, but they they're you know they have nationalism there in, in a positive way, and um, yeah, you know, and you can look across cultures with that. I think a great book is is Tribe by Sebastian yeah, Younger. Great. And also, if you're not into books, listen to him on Rogan. Phenomenal, phenomenal guy. Such a great um, conversation. My buddy, Dr. Chris Ryan, had just finished his book, Civilized to Death, which, you know, it. uh, it's not out yet. But yeah, he talks, you know, uh, at length about the need for this. And even if you just look at something very simple as like the success of CrossFit mm-hmm. or the success of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it's because you belong to a community when totally. you enter into that. Even if you're overtrained or potentially going to get choked out, you have a sense of community and that's what draws people back. Yes. You know, so I forget I was on a I was on a panel at PaleoFX and somebody said 50% of all signups to Globo Gym, you know, golds whatever, never show up once. Mm-hmm. 50 fucking percent right <laughs> 50 percent i was like damn that's a good business model yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> outrageous but the small box gyms the places where you can go i mean orange theory's blown up soul cycle things like this because you go you go through something challenging together and you build community with the people that you're in there with 100 percent. and that's just on the physical level totally. you know imagine when you actually have a real community and you have multi-generational learning where you're not disconnected. You have elders you look up to that you can that are very wise that still have a zest for life and haven't given up and, and aren't opposed to change. And you know, they they can stay up with the times and they're still active. Like that, it's such a stark contrast from where we're at here. All right, guys, one more quick one I want to tell you about. Whoop. It is by far the very best device in the self-quantification movement. That's a lot of fucking words. What does that mean? That means I need to take a deeper look on how my training is impacting my body and how my sleep is impacting my recovery. 
All these things are factored into the equation here with the Whoop through their incredible app, which uses machine learning to dial in how you sleep. For example, when I share a bed, I typically get 12% less REM sleep because I'm sharing a bed with my four-year-old son. I wouldn't know that without the Whoop or without the machine learning technology they use through their questionnaires on a daily basis. But there's way more to this. The new 3.0 they just came out with has a five-day battery life. That means you charge it once every five days, roughly, depending on how often you're checking your stats. It does heart rate 24-7 around the clock. In addition to sleep quantification, it quantifies your daily stress and exertion through their strain meter, which is incredibly important. That's the way that I can tell exactly how hard I'm working throughout the entire day. So people monitor their workouts with a heart rate strap, things like that, but they don't know how many miles they put in. They don't know all the other factors that have gone into this. They don't know if the food they ate caused more stress for their body. All these things factor into that daily strain. And I really can get a closer look on exactly how hard I'm working throughout a 24-hour cycle because of Whoop. In addition to all these wonderful new features, they're going to gamify the system. That means you can start a group and have your friends join you. That also means I'm starting a group. And when you order the Whoop using code word Kyle at checkout, you'll be automatically added to my group. That means you can see exactly how well I slept, exactly how well I recovered, and if I'm pushing it or if I'm being lazy. Point is, it's a really fun way to check in with friends, to have actual accountability with one another and to take your training and sleep and recovery to the next level. For more, go to whoop.com and use code word Kyle at checkout for $30 off new subscriptions. Thanks for listening. Oh man. I mean, like those elders, we started off with the 82 years old and we were, you know, dancing, literally dancing all night. Like basically the, the degree to which, I mean, that's another interesting part. Like in Sri Lanka, I literally, I lived with a family the, the grandchildren would would pay their respects to their grandparents before they left every day and before they went to bed every night. You know, and like that's something I think about because I feel like we've lost reverence for the elders. You know, mm-hmm. obviously in a lot of traditions, we've we look to the elders, and I think we have, you know, this you know our our particular materialist culture, which does sort of play off of people's insecurities to get them to consume things they think they need to feel whole. Um, uh, basically has sort of romanticized perpetual youth right but like there's such a virtue and wisdom and experience in our elders and and, I, and yeah i've brought this up before but i do want to say that the the caveat with with a lack of respect for our elders here is that there's a difference between elders and olders yeah and i've gone into <laughs> this right true. the olders are like the grumpy old men they who who bit they were they were bought and sold on the concept of i'll be happy when yeah. so they lived the life they didn't really want to live 100%. in pursuit of retirement and pursuit of I'll be happy when, and that never came along. And so they're bitter Resentful. because they realize like that shit never actually happened. That was all a fucking lie. It was a fallacy. And here I am now without my health, without, without wealth, because my pension has been cut back or fill in the blank, yep. but they're, they're not exactly great people to be around. And I no. can say that about my, my, my granddad was an asshole, yeah. you know, like he was a total asshole. And I, that's, those are my, my most of my memories are of him yelling at me, yeah. you know, and I've had, I've had good interactions with his wife, my Nana, and, and plenty of older people that stateside where I was like, it, cause it stands out. 
like when you see that here, it does stand out. You're like, oh shit, yeah. you know. But like abuelas and and abuelos, yeah. like there's different. Like there, there's a, that's like that's the opposite side of that coin, where far more of them are looked at as elders, and they have a zest for living, and they're in the kitchen cooking, and they're yelling at people to get out of their way because they know how to do it better than their kids do. <laughs> totally. Even though even though their children are now adults with their own kids, you know. It's I really, love that distinction. Actually, yeah. older, uh, just the olders and the elders. Because mm-hmm. I mean that. It's actually, you know, it's a great parallel to like, you know, just because you're, you know, there's like, there's sort of being on your path and then there's just getting older, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, ideally on this journey, which we only all only get one of, right? And and time is the thing we all have in common and our our greatest, most precious resource. It's like, hopefully you're doing, you're doing the things with the people. I mean, that to bring it back to the sort of deathbed, right? Like I know I've, I've done the exercise. I don't want to be on my deathbed thinking, oh, damn, you know? Yeah, I wish I had gotten a Lambo yeah, or regrets, like, yeah. freaking, yeah, like I wish I, you know, the, exactly the things that the, the grumpy old, the grumpy old men that you're referring to. And I, I had those, some of those in my own life. It's like, it's because they didn't live, right? They, they died with their, their song still in them, right? So it's mm. like, and it was, it was interesting because the launch of the podcast that, that actually, so I was, I started recording four years ago, but coming from Global Citizen, which was this, you know, we, created this beautiful big platform i felt like doing a podcast for me like especially talking about topics like this coming from the world of like philanthropy and you know we you know working with the kinds of folks we did i was like oh dude that feels super small my ego was really messing with me on it you know and so i i started recording it four years ago never put it out and then and then i went to a fleetwood mac concert and they did this tom petty tribute and i was like Man, I always want to fucking go see Tom Petty, you know? <laughs> and he died. And I was like, I literally could have seen him the year before. My, my buddy was throwing a festival. And I was like, it was a phone call. Where I was like, oh, I'll catch him next year, right? Yeah. That, that yep. whole like, ah, oh, next year phenomenon. And then I was like, I'm never going to see Tom Petty. I never got to see him. And then that that was the catalyst for me being like, all right, time to sing your song. Doesn't matter how many people show up to the stadium, but put your song out there. And to me, that's, that's the like end of life. If you don't want to be the older, the resentful cat, you know, it's like whatever your music is, there's a great quote I love by Howard Thurman. It's like, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive and do that because what the world really needs is for people to come alive, you know? And to me, that's like, that's what's (laughs) up. Powerful. (laughs) Yeah, man. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Well, let's, I mean, you touched on it. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, it's it's a it's, I'm I'm not sure exactly how it works, but you started a music festival to end poverty. Yeah, so we so so you know this context to sort of bridge it, you know, in places like Sri Lanka and traveling through India and going to the Himalaya, you know, you you see you know across the subcontinent, you know, the horrible horrible poverty. You know, I mean, poverty that makes um, and not to in any way compare realities because everyone has their own struggles, but. You know, people that don't even have access to clean water. You know, I mean, water kills actually more people every year than all wars combined, which is which is. And the way they die is not. It's not. Uh, it's not something you ever want to picture. Oh you know? no, man! Like I mean, like kids it's, in it's Africa horrific. with extended bellies, yeah, from worms growing inside them, and de- die of dehydration. It's a slow and fucked up death. Yeah, it's, it's not something that happens overnight. It's really bad. And and when you talk about suffering, I mean, uh, you know, I, I was I was in Uganda and I literally saw a girl like digging into parched earth with a jerry can, you know, those yellow water cans. And there was this much dirty water and there was a line of people behind her. I mean, like, that's just tragic. And then I went miles away. I was working with Green, the Greenbelt Movement, which is Wangari Mathai, look her up, amazing, first African woman to win the Nobel Peace Prize. She actually empowered women across the African, uh, across, uh, well, Kenya to start with, to reforest the country 
That's right. Um, okay, I've heard of her. Yeah. yeah, amazing. And I know you have check on, and he's going to talk about the quality. Of, he talks about the quality of soil. Um, you know, talk about inner and outer work. You know, our microbiome the soil mm-hmm. totally inner outer connected Completely ways we don't connected. even think they're about they're selling soil-based probiotics <laughs> right now i was just talking it, to man. dr michael Ruscio about <laughs> yeah, that yeah because we're not in the fucking dirt anymore that's we it we gotta take a supplement for it and that's it and that and many of our diseases so i, I won't fast forward too far to peak mom but what what sort of so global citizen um <laughs> so I was, we were focusing on diseases like polio and malaria which are still endemic in the developing world we don't see them as much in the developed world and we built this, basically, we were like, we don't want to, per what you're saying, right? Like, it's horrific to talk about the distended bellies, but it's necessary. We have 1.3, at the time, 1.3 billion people living on a dollar twenty-five or its equivalent around the world. And that's just yeah. not right, right? We are, we are all in this together. And like, it's not right for our shared humanity. But we didn't want to guilt and shame people, right? What I call poverty porn, the like Sally Struthers, like, I'm going to show you the picture of that poor child in Africa with flies and like, give up <laughs> your cup of coffee. Cue the shitty music. Yeah, cue the shitty music. <laughs> These animals are dying right yeah, now. Exactly. <laughs> Adopt one today. Yeah, it's it's terrible. I saw that, that just drives me, I, I can't even go into it, but that drives me bananas. So I was, we were like, okay, how do we start a movement based in hope and inspiration where people want to be a part of it and it celebrates our shared humanity. And I think the coolest thing that we did was we were like, and this was actually our great disruption because we wanted to host it on the Great Lawn in Central Park. So one of my favorite albums growing up was uh, Simon and Garfunkel's concert in Central Park. Um, The magic of Central Park, Stones never played there, Beatle never played there. So you have like a piece of real estate that's like prime in the world. um, And all these artists would love to play there, but you can't actually sell tickets. So what we did was we turned that on its head and we said, well, you know what? We want to educate people around these issues. So we'll make it so you have to learn about the issues to get points and take action around issues affecting extreme poor. We're not going to even ask you for your money, but sign a petition with the Gates Foundation around, you know, polio vaccines or, uh, you know, volunteer or do, do a variety of different actions and you get points and those points enter your chance to win. Not, you know, so you got Beyonce fans, Jay, you know, Jay-Z fans, Neil Young all of whom have performed on the global citizen stage, all those fans then become part of this broader based movement and extreme poverty. So long story short, uh, we had this crazy vision. It was let's throw a music festival because music is such to your point. I mean, talk about medicine. I mean, literally, like in terms of Alzheimer's, my dad, unfortunately, has dementia. But, you know, you look at the great movie Alive Inside, like you can take people with that are totally nonverbal and put their favorite songs from their childhood around their ears. And it's like, they come to life, right? Like music, we don't even know the degree to which it's medicine on an individual level. And then obviously collectively, it's like the universal language, right? Mm-hmm. So so we said, let's build a, a, a movement through music and inspire people around our shared humanity. And so we launched the first Global Citizen Festival on the Great Lawn in Central Park, um, had Black Keys, Foo Fighters, Neil Young, uh, John Legend sang Imagine, uh, raised $1.3 billion in new commitments for programs serving the world's poor by leveraging Damn. the hundreds of thousands of actions of global citizens who took action to, to come to the show. And that's grown since then. I left when my dad got diagnosed with dementia about four years in. We were The, the organization was then on very firm footing and I left to, to form Peakbond because I realized, okay, we were focused on diseases like polio and malaria. And then I realized in the de- developed world, like where we live and where my, what I saw with my dad and dementia was like, I did this deep dive into brain health and realized, hold up, like half the population in the world now is, is obese, more than half actually. And you have half the US population is pre-diabetic, half the Chinese population nearly is pre-diabetic, you know, and a lot of this is based on now this Western diet and lifestyle 
So there's a whole new like there's a whole new form of disease that's about to be a scourge on the planet is a scourge on the planet and dementia is called by some type three diabetes. And then I realized like my dad, you know, he was on took antacids his whole life, drank Diet Coke, you know, like, you know, was eating, you know, bread with glyphosate and, you know, the food pyramid, which has now been debunked, you know, that he grew up. And not to say that, you know, not to to defer responsibility or accountability or, you know, you know, blame anyone else. But it's just to say I saw in in my dad this devastation of like watching the person you love you know, the most on the planet sort of fade away. And I realized that so many people are going to face that around the world. And a lot of these practices to bring it full circle um, are integral to us maintaining that that collective health and well-being, which is going to be necessary at this critical juncture in history, right? So to me, I'm still very much passionate about the, the ending of, you know, incredible injustices around the world, like extreme poverty. And I believe that it's going to take a revolution in consciousness, you know, within for us to be able to hold the space. I mean, they say in the next 12 years, right, like we're at a place of, you know, we, we are right now already not to be like a, a doomsdayer, but like amidst mass extinction on a species level. Right. Yeah, so it's like, no doubt, you know, the planet will continue whether we as humans continue is 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 the question. Um, but, you know, I'm passionate about hopefully, you know, in whatever small part I can play, you know, uh, turning people on to live the best lives they can. And in the process, hopefully, you know, also be recognizing their connection, you know, the, the interdependence that we all share. And so that was the, that was the really the catalyst for peak mind was like, okay, how do we still create impact in the world, but how do we recognize that it starts within, right? So how do we look at impact from the inside out? Damn. <laughs> so good. <laughs> well, well, I mean, you have you have released your podcast and of course, I think for many people that first, you know, pull it up, they're going to see that you interviewed the Dalai Lama. That's pretty fucking special. It talk was... to me talk to me about that interview. Talk to me about the energy in sitting were you face to face? Were you through Skype? So, no. So, okay, so the context of the Dalai Lama was Okay, so I left Global Citizen. I took so con, a bit, bit of background. Okay. So, I, I, when, when my dad, my, so my dad was battling cancer and was doing chemo the whole time we were building Global Citizen. And uh, I have a very uh, deep relationship with my father. Um, and, uh, you know, he's had my back in ways, you know, during my darkest hours, he's had my back. And so I was like, dad, I want to have your back. You know, he was still, you know, pretty sharp cognitively. So I said, I'll, I'll take you anywhere in the world you want to go. And I knew he loved history. He was too humble to ask. I knew he loved history. I knew he loved nature. So I took him to South Africa went and visited Mandela's prison. So had the best trip of my life. Uh, and it was on that trip that I decided, okay, I'm going to leave Global Citizen. I didn't know yet what I was going to do. So I did a 30-day meditation cleanse. And on the 30th day, um, I, so I live in Los Angeles, right on the beach. I went down to the beach and uh, at the risk of sounding woo-woo, uh, I, I, I felt I felt called, you know, Wim Hof style to jump in the ocean because freezing. It was November in the middle of the night. So I stripped down and I jumped I'm in the North ocean. I'm from I'm sorry. There's no point. <laughs> there's no point in the year where Southern California's water is freezing. No, but okay. Fair enough. Fair okay. enough. It's not, maybe it's not Wim Hof style. And I, ha I have done, I do do the ice baths, but it was cold. It was, let's just say it wasn't a leisurely swim in the ocean. Okay. Okay. And, and, I, and I also lived in NorCal and you're right, it is colder. Uh, but... It was, it was, it was not, let's just say it was not a, it was not a bath, bath water temperature. Gotcha. And in the invigoration, I was like, I had this crazy idea. I was like, cause I, the meditation had really served me and I had seen, you know, the, the efficacy that could have on the brain. 
Um, and obviously my dad's disease was rooted in the brain. And so it was actually in that moment that I decided I wanted to host the Dalai Lama's 80th birthday. It, it just came to me as an idea. And I, I and it was a freaking crazy idea because I have no I didn't have any connection to the Dalai Lama. But I was like, you know what? I was working with my friend Kwaku, who's Nelson Mandela's grandson, uh, who I had met through the course of Global Citizen and was also part of the impetus for me going to South Africa. And I realized Mandela's birthday, or not his birthday, but Mandela Day is actually like within two weeks of the Dalai Lama's birthday. And it's just like, there were just different, you know, kind of following like the trail of like things that have been going on in my life. I was like, let me see if I, this crazy idea, which was the same thing with Global Citizen, right? It's like this big, crazy idea that like you never thought you could ever pull off um, came to me. And I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to declare it. Like who knows if it'll happen, but I'm going to go after it. Like, like I'm committed, you know? And so uh, the initial idea was to get 80 different meditators. So like I'm from Chicago, kids on the South side of Chicago, I don't care if Deepak talks about meditation, but if like Usher or like Common talks about meditation, maybe they're interested, right? So I talked to, we had a big festival on Earth Day, talked to, you know, Common, talked to Usher, folks like that. And the whole idea was like, who are the popular figures like we did in Global Citizen, right? Where it's like, we're bringing in the Beyonce's, the Jay-Z's, the Neil Young's, the, you know, different different genres of influence, right? Because you also need to speak to people in our society. Gotta speak to the masses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's the, you know, we live better or worse. We live in like the Instagram, so, you know, influencer television mm -hmm. movie, like that's our reality. So let's use that as a tool. And, um, and so long and short of it was I wound up host hosting this event. Forrest Whitaker came, I mean, he, Ghost Dog is one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> that is a great movie. Dude, if you've not seen Ghost Dog, do yourself a favor. <laughs> Modern day samurai in New York city, broken down Ep epic, epic movie. So that was like, that was, that was incredible. But basically we wound up hosting, um, wound up having the privilege. And for me, I was channeled by wanting to like, which was interesting. My, my, my why was like wanting to make my dad proud while he could, while he still had the cognitive wherewithal mm. to know like what was happening. And so that was my why, like, that's really what drove me. Also this obviously wanting to make a difference for the collective. Ironically, my dad at that point was pretty far along. And like, I you know, there's this like crazy sequence where literally like, we're, and by the way, like, I'll tell you another day, the story of the Dalai Lama, like the seven months in lead up. I mean, like I had no idea what that was going to call, call forth from me to be able to mm -hmm. make that happen. Um, but just needless to say, it, it culminated in him actually showing up, which was not sure at all. I mean, talk about committed. Like I was personally like six figures liable. You know, you got like Forrest Whitaker flying in. You've got hundreds of people coming. And, you know, the gentleman's 80 years old. He's a global figure you know, there's no replacement. There's no like, sorry, Dalai Lama couldn't make it. You know, like but we, we but got, we've got this guy. <laughs> exactly. There's no, there's no like, so it was, it was literally an act, which for me was a spiritual exercise in commitment, unequivocal commitment and, and in a way faith and, and just sort of, you know, with any big vision, it's way bigger than yourself, you know, incredible team that comes together to, to make it a reality. But he walks in and my dad actually does have has no idea who he is. Like he doesn't recognize him because he's pretty far along. But my mother, interestingly enough, who's like tough as nails, wonderful woman, but just starts bawling. And I just start bawling. Like she's like, I feel like I just met Jesus. Like literally his presence is something, you know, I, I can't even describe. I mean, granted, I had spent seven months focused on it and didn't yeah. know if it was going to happen. So I'm sure there was a piece of like, oh my God, this is actually happening. 
but the moment I met I met him, I literally bowed over and he offered me the scarf, you know, and I'm leaning down and we touch, we touch foreheads and I just start like, like the floodgates just start flowing. Um, and so, so actually the, the long and short of it is we, I wound up hosting his birthday party, like literally found out he loves like Snickers, got him like a Snickers cake. But hey, but watch out for that type three diabetes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wasn't necessarily on brand, but uh, <laughs> it was mostly a symbolic act anyway. But, but needless to say, uh, it was just like this, like beautiful moment of like literally presenting the Dalai Lama with his, you know, 80th birthday cake and hosting this, you know, beautiful meditation. Hopefully people can check it out. Um, uh, it's just peak mind with Michael Trainer, but basically, you know, it's, it's structured. That particular podcast was structured as I wanted it to be, I wanted to create the container. I didn't want it to be about me. So it's literally like I asked for it to be, and it's a very special, I, I'm told, um, discourse on meditation and the mind and and particular forms different forms of meditation for cultivating the mind and so it was actually like a very rare talk and gift that he offered to the community which we then recorded which which is the podcast the first podcast so it's, it's we're broken fucking linking to that show notes for sure <laughs> yeah, yeah. For so sure. It's, linked, it's linked in two parts and and then i offered my questions to the audience because i wanted them to have the opportunity to ask so like i mean but like you know like some of the questions were just epic you know i mean we had like an 11 year old girl asking a question uh, we had a buddy of mine ask a question about like how you deal with like challenging circumstances i mean talk about man's in exile you know like just like but like we all have challenges in our life how do you deal with that so Long and short of it is, it was, you know, one of the most epic days of my life and became the launch of, of Peak Mind. And then it became the first uh, first first and second podcast episodes. So so to answer your question, yeah, it was a seven month journey for uh, for that ultimate, you know, culmination, um, which is still I'm still sort of processing today. But man, it was uh, I still feel so blessed and so fortunate to have you know, played, you know, whatever, whatever role humbly in the listening and being able to host that, you know, space for, for his presence. And to your point earlier, and I wanted to mention this, you know, you said you keep getting this, you know, getting called to this notion of like childlike innocence. There's no one I've met in my life that to me was the, more the personification. And, and we, and this is, here's this exalted spiritual teacher so joyful so not taking himself like seriously so not like i'm the guru right like yeah. literally like sees himself as he's like oh, i'm just a you know like i'm just like a you know like such humility but like such joy like po aloe black who's a great musician uh, a friend of mine you know he's like joking with aloe black about his hat you know i mean he's just like joking all the time like literally stopped and like I have this beautiful picture. I wanted to host it outdoors because I feel like every time I see him talk, he's in this like horrible hall with fluorescent lights. <laughs> so a friend of mine has a ranch. We did it outdoors and he literally walks by this tree and he stops and just kind of like pays respect to like the tree. And I was like, man, just like his way, like the whole and everyone like there was every, just his way of being. Everyone was welcome. Everyone was honored. Everyone was seen. Everyone was heard again, sort of bring it back to that sense of the collective. And I was just like more so even than the words just his presence, like his mm. way of being, again, the beingness was such a teaching for me because I was like, wow, man, you know, like just like joy, just presence, seeing 
validating, appreciating everyone around him, it was game changer. Fuck yeah, man. I feel, <laughs> I feel like we're just scratching the tip of the iceberg here, but um, that does wrap us up. All right, brother. Well, thank you for uh, having me, man. Dude, at my absolute pleasure. Seriously. Uh, yeah. And we'll, we'll run it back again for sure in the future. Where can people find you online and talk about your podcast? Yeah. So podcasts uh, just launched. I've got about 30, 40 episodes, some really exciting ones um, about to come out, actually. But it's Peak Mind with Michael Trainer, um, iTunes, Spotify, all the all the channels. Um, yeah, I think people are going to be pretty stoked. So I, I've actually been spending the last four years recording. I'm just now launching it. So um, everyone across perform, you know, right now already on there is like Maria Sharapova, uh, Laird Hamilton's about to come out so on the performance side. A lot of our mutual friends like Dr. Mark Hyman and, and Ben Greenfield, Dave Asprey on the biohacking, you know, health and wellness side. And then these incredible global figures like Asalina Dalai Lama and folks like that. So, and then you can find me on, uh, on just at Michael Trainer anywhere on social, uh, peakmind.org on the web. But man, I'm just, I just also want to honor you, man. I, I so uh, appreciate your energy. Like we're, we're newer, newer friends connection, but like we met at Paleo FX and just like, I will honor and acknowledge the fact that like you just came in with like, a, like this huge heart, man. And I just honor the way you show up in the world. And, uh, I'm grateful for this first uh, first conversation. I can't wait for more. Awesome, brother. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. Pleasure. Thank you guys for listening to my dude, Michael Trainer. If you haven't seen Doctor Strange, make sure you watch it. And if you feel privy to it, have a little microdose of LSD while you throw it on because that's how we saw it in the theaters in 3D. And it's awesome. Um, definitely makes me think of some of Michael Trainer's training. Obviously, you know, one is a very Hollywood depiction and versus the real world depiction, but really cool stuff. Thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, leave us a review on iTunes. It tells us how much you love it. Want to get the word out about this name change. And hopefully y'all are still sticking around, even though the name has changed one final time.